Amen. So tonight we are going to start our second to last sermon series of the school year, which means we're almost done with the school year, which is a little bit crazy. But tonight we're going to start a sermon series called Meet Me in the Marketplace, which is all about this idea of what it looks like to follow Jesus, not just when you're in college. So this is really, really applicable for those of you that are getting ready to graduate. We're hoping to transition you well and send you to the next season of life where you can keep following Jesus because as much as I love you and I, Jesus exists outside of Cedar Falls and outside of this campus, amen. And for those of you that are new or maybe you're a freshman, you're like, what's this about for me? I promise you that these are things that, A, will be really applicable when you get home over the summer and to help you do that well, but also as you are in college, you're only going to be around for a couple of years, right? It goes way faster than you think. So we want to get some tools to help us do this well. And I thought a great way to start this sermon series off would be to invite a good friend of mine, Clint Wickham, and I'll let him tell a little bit about himself, but he goes to Cross Point Church in Waverly. He has served there for many years, and he's just been such an example to me and to others of what it looks like to follow Jesus while not working in ministry. So we all would stand up and give a round of applause to Clint while we invite him would be great. Stop. Stop. That's enough. Thanks, man. Love you. Oh. Not deserving. You haven't even heard anything yet. Hey, does anybody know, will an iPad at 50% last an hour and a half? Anybody know? It will, okay. Everybody's like, say what? Well, as he said, I am, in fact, Clint Whitcomb, and I will be married to a high school sweetheart of mine for 15 years come May. <laughs> Woo! Come on now. Now, everybody jump on Facebook and, and give me a like on something and tell me if, dude, I outkicked my game. I totally did, and I'm proud of it. And we have made three beautiful young little children, 11, 10, and 5 years old, and we have entered that stage of our life where I've become a full-time coach, chauffeur, and tutor. And I wasn't great at school, so tutoring is really tough when they teach math six different ways instead of just the right way. You know what I mean? Can I get any amens in the room? Come on now. Now, I'm short, but this is even, this is even too short. Come on, Derek. That's just cruel. Many of you have maybe figured out already, I am not in full-time vocational ministry. What I do for a living is I partner with individuals and families to help them achieve their serious long-term financial goals. What does that mean? I'm a financial advisor, okay? So that's what I do for a living. But what I've learned in life is that I am what a lot of Christians or Christian business people would call a gatekeeper, someone that takes the resources from the marketplace and brings them to the church and takes the church into the marketplace. I feel that is exactly where God has called me to be. Kenneth Hagin's group says it this way, that gatekeepers are bridges between the two worlds called to operate both in the church and the marketplace, bringing the resources of one arena to the other. This is my calling currently to be in both realms, both in the marketplace and in the church. Back in 2013, I was part of a young church that was referenced earlier, called Crosspoint Church, which proud to partner with Scent Church. We love you guys. Most of you guys go to Scent Church on Sundays. Yeah, Quimby down under, uh, Pastor Dan, Daniel, and he's the man. Uh, Derek's pretty cool too. 
But make sure you tell Daniel on Sunday how good the message was, even if it wasn't great. What if it wasn't on par with where he's at? He's an amazing young young man. I guess he's not young no more. He's getting old. So back in 2013, yes, part of a young church. And so we had the senior pastor we hired, and what I started to notice is our church was growing. It was growing rapid, much like Chi Alpha here at UNI. I was here five years ago, and might have been 40 students and 20 Crosspoint people coming to encourage me. And look at today. Praise God. Thank you for the people that started this, pioneered this years ago to plant seeds that have grown into other seeds, that have grown into the, you guys sitting in these chairs. Keep doing that. Keep sharing the message at you and I, at Hawkeye, at, at John Deere, wherever you call home most of the time, bring them to Chi Alpha, bring them to church. Praise God. So I noticed that we were growing in teenagers. These families had teenagers and they weren't getting fed on a regular Wednesday night basis. And financially, our church couldn't afford to have two pastors. So God put it on my heart and says, hey, maybe you. And I'm like, oh, come on, God, no, no. I don't speak. Uh, that's, not my, that's not my game. No, that's just not me. And he kept nudging me, nudging me finally, like he just threw me. He's like, dude, listen. So I was having lunch with my senior pastor and I said, hey, you know, I'm just feeling like for the interim, for a short period of time, why don't I lead the youth as a volunteer youth director along with being a full-time, pat, or a full-time financial advisor until we can hire someone full-time, just for a short period of time? He liked that. So five years later, <laughs> we hired somebody. Praise God, because those students desperately need someone full-time devoted to being with them, doing life with them, not just showing up on a Wednesday and giving them a 20-minute message. And just so you know, it's not going to be 20 minutes. It might be like 29, all right? (laughs) For that season of my life, I was able to have a full-time career, but also a very vital part of the church. It worked for that season of my life. It was more than I thought that I could handle, but God stretched me and developed my leadership skills better than the Fortune 300 firm that I worked for could have possibly dreamed or imagined. So this, I imagine, is why Pastor Derek Quimby asked me to come in here to talk about how do I abide by the rules and principles of the marketplace while still being a light into the marketplace. Okay. You know, the reason why he wants us to be in the marketplace, God, is because the people in the marketplace need to know Jesus too. They need him desperately. We have something that they don't have, which is hope, something to live for, something to look forward to. Interesting fact about me, I hate poison ivy. Did you know that? I hate poison ivy. Man, I am so susceptible to it. I seriously, if I walk by it, and I get it so often, it feels like if I walk by it, it jumps on me. I don't have to touch it, rub it, smell it, get it on my clothing. I seem to always get poison ivy. I'll just give you some examples of how susceptible I am to it. So in the middle of the summer, I was out at the timber doing some mowing in a grass area, mind you. And I'm, I'm decked out. It's 90 degrees. It's July in Iowa, right? You know what I mean. I got pants on. I got boots on. I got a hat on. Probably stocking cap because I was a wrestler. I'm a weirdo, right? Probably had my socks tucked into my pants. I'm just all dressed up to look cool like you guys tonight. But normally I'm walking around with my, top, my, my sweatpants tucked into my socks. I don't know what has to do with the story. But I had short sleeves on, gloves. I'm that weirdo. Not a mask then. It wasn't COVID. And I'm playing the wind. I'm mowing. I'm pushing all the, all the debris away from me. I get poison ivy from here to here, because apparently 
stuff bounces off of trees. Did you know that? It comes back and touches your skin. I'll give you a- another example of how susceptible I am to poison ivy. One spring, I put on my turkey hunting vest that I hadn't worn for literally one year. And back then, if you didn't get it muddy, you don't, you don't wash that. And that's straight up fine as a teenager. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. I put that thing on and get poison ivy. Because guess what? Poison ivy hangs out in fabrics. That oil is good for a long time. Not cool if you're susceptible to poison ivy rashes. I'll give you another example. You can't get poison ivy in the winter, can you? That's a, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You certainly can. <laughs> So two winters ago, I had to move a deer stand because, you know, the deer were avoiding me. They're like avoiding me like COVID, like stay six feet away, but they're like staying at the gun range. So I move a deer stand. So I got this stand up there and actually Pastor Jonathan Barthelow, my senior pastor, bless his heart, is like, I'll help you. And I remember I got that stand up there. I'm about to put the strap on so you don't fall out and, you know, live life differently for the rest of your life. And I remember looking at this bark, these sticks growing along the tree, and I go, Pastor Jonathan, that looked like poison ivy vines to you. God, I know you're fine. Take off my gloves, strap it up. Guess what? Poison ivy all over my forearms. This one time when I was going to the bathroom in the woods, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That would be terrible. But in all seriousness, I am so susceptible to poison ivy, it's laughable. Now, it's a dilemma for me because I'm a conservationist. Man, I love being in the woods, planting trees, putting in the CRP, putting in wetlands, and I love hunting. I'm an outdoorsman to the core, and it's a dilemma because I am like, I don't want to go to the woods because I'm going to get poison ivy, but yet my heart yearns to be in the timber. So I've created a poison ivy prevention plan, all right? I'm going to tell you all about it. It breaks down into three categories. This might save a rash from you down the road. It starts with preparation, when you go outside, bring a bottle of water, bring some dude wipes, no baby wipes, that's just for wimps. Bring some dude wipes. <laughs> bring gloves that you can leave in the woods if they get anywhere near poison ivy, all right? Be prepared. Second thing is to always be alert. This one's really important. I am not kidding you. As soon as I pull into that spot in the timber or in the grasslands, I step out of the truck and I look down immediately, what am I about to put my foot in? And as I walk through the timber, doing whatever I do, marking trees, looking at birds and killing deer, I look at every step, what's ahead of me, what's around me, what's in front of me, to make sure that I'm not going to run into a patch of poison ivy. I always am looking around and surveying what's around me, avoiding danger at all costs. Now there's times where I cut trees and picking up logs and sticks. I'm wearing gloves, right? Each time I go to pick up that log, I'm looking, what's it laying on, right? Right? And if I take anything that looks like poison ivy, them gloves become dirt five years later. They stay right where they were. I am not risking it. I'm always alert. Now, there's times where I'll come up to a patch. I'm like, that's straight up poison ivy. I will change. I'll alter my core. I'll take the hardest path possible just to avoid the potential danger that poison ivy has for me. So when I climb trees, for deer stands, I'm not a weirdo climbing trees like a four-year-old. But when I climb trees, I'm looking for vines, right? I'm making sure that there's nothing that looks like leaves of three, leave B. Seriously, leave them B. Run and hide. A person with my condition in the middle of the summer, when they go out to the timber, weeds are tall, lush, and full. I walk around like this. I sometimes I look like I'm straight up worshiping Jesus in the woods because I don't want my hands to be anywhere near that weed line. I bet the squirrels have laughs about me. The last step in my poison ivy prevention plan is cleaning up, okay? So 
if I feel like I've been exposed at all, I get back to my truck, I take out that jug or bottle of water I told you about, I wash down the 3% body skin that's exposed at all times, my hands, sometimes, my face, my neck. If I feel like I've come in contact, I literally get down to my skibbies, take off the outer layer, put it in the back of my truck, put my boots in the back of the truck, I will power wash them or burn them when I get home, depending on how close I came into contact with that stuff. I get home and from finger to elbow, I vigorously wash three times with soap, Everything exposed to my face and neck, I go take a shower. That is what you call cleaning up. And I think I just heard someone over like, what does this have to do with marketplace ministry, Mary? That's a good question, Karen. Let me tell you. <laughs> my poison ivy prevention plan can be applied to market ministry, okay? I have a goal in life that I want to live a lifestyle that demands an explanation. I'm going to say that one more time. My goal in my life is I want to live a lifestyle that demands an explanation, that the way that I live is contrary to the world. The things that I do, the things that I participate in, the way I speak, the things I'm watching, the people I hang out with is different from what everybody else is doing, that the joy and the peace and contentment that I experience is enviable enough that people want that too. And then the door can be opened up to tell them, well, how do I have these things? It's because of my Savior, Jesus. Live a lifestyle that demands an explanation. What's different about you? I've been able to, as I've accelerated through the corporate ladder per se with this firm, I've been able to leverage my influence with other leaders within our area. And without preaching, when I'm in front of my colleagues when I speak, at our events or lead Zoom meetings, they see that the way that I do conduct myself, the way that I speak is much different from their peer group, our peer group. And I've had several of them over the last 12 years reach out to me, people that think you got it made. Their spouse is like mine, maybe out of their league, wonderful human being, great healthy children, by the standards of the industry, excelling in uh, their take home, their production, and the standards of the world doing very, very well. Everything you look at, they got it made. But they're missing something that I have, which is Jesus. When we live that lifestyle that demands an explanation, those doors will be opened, I promise. So let's apply these same three concepts preparation, always alert, and cleaning up to how can we go into the world. Anybody not, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of us in this room that will not go into vocational ministry. And that's okay. Because even if our career isn't in vocational ministry, it should all be about ministry. That's my opinion, and you've probably heard that many times. So preparation, how do we get ready to go into the marketplace to share the good news? You've heard these in probably most of your sermons. Devotional time. Get in the word. Good to do it here corporately. Good to do it small groupedly. But spend time on your own with God. Only the weirdly people understand that joke. Worship God corporately, but on your way to campus, on your way home from spring break, fall break, whatever you got coming up in the car, find time to worship God. Praise him all day. I've become one of those Bible-thumping weirdos that every time I hear something good, I say, praise God. God is so good. 
Because God deserves credit for everything that is good. So I've begun training myself that when I hear something good, whether I'm alone or with somebody, I praise him for what he's deserved to get, which is praise at all times. There's times where good things happen in my business and I just can't handle it. I'm just so excited, right? And I'll shut my door and I'll do a praise dance. I'm not gonna do it right now, but if you get into a career where you need to learn how to do a praise dance, I will show you in private a praise dance. And you give God credit, you give him praise like he deserves. I've also begun doing a praise 30 for 30. This is, I live and die by a time block schedule. You're meeting with so-and-so, here's your schedule, here's your appointment folder. I live and die by it. It's awesome. But I put in a time block from 11 to 11 to 30. I've just recently done this. I'm not as consistent as I want to do. But I take those 30 minutes in the middle of my day, and I start with my clock going for 30, 30 minutes. First thing I do is I start writing my thankfulness. I got a journal on my desk, things I'm thankful for. Then I write a thank you note to someone. Then I have a prayer journal portion, a couple pages in my journal, where I write down during the week my clients that have asked for prayer, and I said, hey, would it be okay if I prayed with you? And in addition to this, can I add you to my journal and circle that prayer randomly until I hear from you that it's been resolved, that God's come through? Is that okay with you? You know, you don't have to say, Jesus, 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 but you can subtly bring up Jesus. So I circle those prayers each time. I draw a circle around that thing, that item I'm, I'm lifting up to God. I, I date it so I know how many times. It's like a, a tree. If you cut it down, you look at how many lines. You see how many years that tree grew. And you can do the same thing. I pray for this person X amount of times. Then I read for the remainder of the time. So I find that when I've done at least one of these things, hopefully several of these things each day, I respond much better to adversity. My emotions and my behaviors are so much better. Why? What'd you say? Why? Because you are who you hang out with. Have you ever heard that before? It's 100% true. If you hang out with God, if you hang out with Jesus, he's going to rub off on you. When two matters come together, there's a delusion, right? Part of it rubs off on the other person. So you are who you hang out with. Did you know that who you hang out with can dilute you? Ooh, I could preach. Make a sermon series on that. Make a note of that. Who you hang out with can dilute you. So think about this. The people that you're hanging out with, the vocabulary that they use, the way they speak about other people, the things that they look at, the things that they do, if you had to make a combination of the two of you, would you want to be that person? The answer is probably not. Probably get a different circle of people to hang out with. Just good advice. Here's a recent example of this. I respect this individual. He's a professional in a community around here. Really well known. And we both coach athletes. So we're brushing elbows and talking. And he kept saying this phrase at first like, <laughs> oh, dude, that's super edgy, right? You know, one of those sayings. Kind of make you smile a little bit, and they're like, oh, the spirit's like, oh, no, that's not good. Right? He said it like three or four times in a five-minute conversation. I'm like, dude, that is just, that's poor. About four or five days later, I'm hanging out with my adult relatives, and all of a sudden, that saying comes out of my mouth. I'm like, God, forgive me. That was, that was ugly. Five minutes with this person, and some of the verbiage that he used all of a sudden regurgitated out of me like a vomiting dog. It was gross. Who you hang out with will dilute you. You better make sure that delusion is good. 
I, how can I, I don't even know how I could do a better way of portraying this. Let's see what's in here. There's like a magician here. Everybody get a rabbit out of the hat. All right, what do we got here? Don't tell, what's this place called? Don't tell Mrs. Lang, okay? I got, I, got a, I got water and food, and I saw the sign. I was like, oh, no. But they can forgive me, right? All right, so I just have these three random things in my, in my, my backpack there. So, okay, this is, this is West Spears. Oh, my gosh, I forgot to say that in the introduction. So one of my first group from sixth grade through 12th grade was Wesley Spears and Jacob Arthelow and Riley Reynolds back there. Come on now, look at where you're sitting. Come on, praise God, give, give God a hand clap for that. Uh. If you only would have known Wes Spears when he's a sixth grader, you would have given up on him too. All right. I mean, not given up on him. All right, so this is Wes Spears, right? He, he's good, he's pure, He's, he's who we want to be, right? There's no, no discoloration in there, right? That's just a random example, okay? Then there's this other person. And it's not Jacob. Come on. It, it was a bad apple. What are the odds of that? So we got the good, pure person, and we got the bad apple that we're hanging out with, right? So delusion means things have to come together. Now, I'm a math person. I'm not science. So bear with me in this experiment, all right? All right. So... You know, West becomes, he pours himself into a new creation. All right. So, sorry, Mrs. Lang. Now we got the bad apple. Well, if two things come together, well, part of this has to be in here, right? Right? Part of West rubs off on Jacob, and part of Jacob rubs off on West. That doesn't fit. Anybody gagging here? That was really hard not to swallow. That was a really crisp apple. Can everybody see this? I want you to focus on this. Yeah, I got the peel straight up in my big teeth. Dude, that is so ugly. So ugly. But that's sin. Man, sin is so ugly. Hang out with God. Become a much better version of yourself. You start hanging out with people that talk like bad apples, that do bad apple things, you're gonna start having apple juice up and on you. You know what I mean? Sorry, I came up with that with my snack on the way down here. So always, always be alert. When I prepare my heart and my spirit daily, the preparation part, right? The poison ivy prevention plan now adapted to the market ministry plan. I allow myself to be primed for whatever literally might walk through the door or metaphorically what comes my, my way throughout the day. It also allows me to keep my Holy Spirit sensors ready for eternal impact moments, Okay? So being aware of the times of the danger around us, just like I talk about, I'm walking through, I'm like, oh, poison ivy, I'm changing directions. Even if it's hard, even if it's a much longer route to get there, avoid 
all the dangers. Well, what dangers could you possibly have in the marketplace? There's a lot. Flirting. No one up in here flirts. Right? <laughs> Not at all. If you're dating somebody, you should only flirt with that person. That makes sense, right? If you're married to somebody, you should probably only flirt with that person. Don't flirt. Don't be a flirt, right? So in the marketplace, that's where a lot of bad things happen is flirtation starts. Don't gossip. Don't do that. That's so girlish, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I struggle with the same thing. Don't be vulgar talk. I still struggle with that. Don't have coarse talk. Don't have bad humor. Don't manipulate the time clock. Don't disrespect authority. Don't be over here with Bob and say, Susan's blah, blah, blah. Then be over here with Susan and say, Bob's blah, blah, blah. Guess what? Everybody's gonna know that you're the blah, blah, blah guy. Don't be that person. Be honest. When these things start happening in the workplace, avoid them. Avoid them like a poison ivy patch. Get away, run, flee. As Paul says, when you see sexual immorality, flee from it, turn from it, run. Leave it all behind like Joseph. Leave that robe, go strolling through town, get away from it. You can read about that later. Another principle, don't let the urgent get in the way of the important. This is a very general business principle. Don't, get, don't let the urgent get in the way of the important. In a lecture in 1954, Dwight Eisenhower, which was one of our past president days here, he said it this way, I have two kinds of problems, the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important, and the important are never urgent. And I contend as a society, and trust me, I see it. I deal with people's money. I manage a lot of money. You know that the biggest cause of divorce is somehow financial. It is on the mind of everybody. It is a different world to be in when you're talking about finance, which is, as some people in the Bible say, the root of all evil is the love of money. But yet, being in the ministry side of it, it's a good place to be if you're all about ministry. I contend that we as society get so tunnel visioned on what's next. We overextend ourselves for FOMO because of uh, ambition, a fear of letting somebody down, whatever the reason is. We get so focused on going this thing to this thing to this thing, we have such a fervent energy just to get from here to here because we just gotta go, go, go. And one of my best stories in the Bible that talks about this comes from the man, the goat, Jesus. In Luke chapter 18, verses 35 through 42, it says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. And he ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When people saw it, they also praised God. A couple points I want to pull out of this. 
says that those who led the way, so those were Jesus' followers. Shh, shh, shh. Quiet. Jesus is coming through. You got important business to do, right? They said, be quiet. You shut your mouth when you're talking to us, right? He told that beggar, be quiet. Jesus, the Messiah, isn't here for you. We are just at that place. Now we're going to Jericho. We had an important thing there. We have an urgent thing there. Be quiet. Right? You in the marketplace will have authority that will tell you, shh, shut your little mouth. Don't you talk about Jesus up in here. Let me give you an example of this. So one time when I was in a leadership position, maybe this is why I lost that position. I'm just kidding. I was in this leadership position as a volunteer, much like this situation. I volunteer for these leadership roles for our firm. So I'm talking to our local leader and a bunch of corporate execs at the home office, you know, the big wigs. And they're all about this personal vision statement, right? What's your personal vision statement? I told them, I believe I'm a gatekeeper. I believe that I bring the resources from the marketplace to the church, and I bring the church to the marketplace. And I shared my faith. I gave them a 30-second commercial. I didn't care who they were. I never talked to them. But those 10 little people, they got a commercial about who Jesus was. Get off the phone. My local leader calls me and goes, Clint, you can't do that. You can't share your faith like that. And I said, yes, I can, because I'm not an Edward Jones financial advisor. I'm a child of God. This is my job. And my job is not to be a financial advisor. My job is to be a missionary to the financial field. And that's exactly where God wants each one of you. Maybe it's a missionary to the college. Maybe it's a missionary to be in marketing. It's a missionary to work here at a a very liberal school. Maybe it's to be a bus driver, to love on children. God's got plans for every one of you to infiltrate the marketplace. Big plans. Do it and do it well. Beggars, why would beggars be here? So beggars would often sit where there's high traffic areas. Beggars would sit along the roadside, along you know, uh, the wells, places where people would always frequent because that was their only way of surviving. Most of them could not carry out an occupation because they were disabled, blind in this case, and they would beg for food, beg for it to survive, beg for food. So that's why he's along the roadside. The Jews, who were supposed to follow the Mosaic law, which is to take care of the orphans and the widows and the needy, didn't do a good job of it, and they just kept walking by. Kept walking by. This guy yells out, son of David. Who's David? David was one of the first kings. He was the second king of Israel. And this said, the prophet said that the Messiah, the son of God, will come from the lineage of David. This blind man knew this. So if he's the Messiah, he's calling out, son of David, I know who you are. And I know what you can do. And he's hollering out hollering out as all the people that were supposed to take care of Jesus' schedule said, you be quiet. He's got important things to do. We're going to ignore this request because he's going to go to another town and heal a different blind guy. You're not on the list. <laughs> and I'm just as guilty as these followers of Jesus were in this moment. For me, it's go, go, go. What's that next thing? I got too many things that I want to get done each and every day. I never sit around wondering, what, what am I going to do for this next 20 minutes? And if we get caught up in this go, 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 this get things done cycle, we'll miss the opportunity to impact someone. We may miss the opportunity to plant the seed, the hope that comes in Jesus. 
Mark 10 gives an account of the same thing. And in the message translation, it says that Jesus stopped in his tracks. Man, I love that. What a powerful word image. And I just imagine Jesus, as he patrolled this earth for a few years, walking around like me in the woods, like thinking about every step, looking around, canvassing the area to see who needed him in that moment, always aware of who was around him. Jesus headed from one really important day to the next day that was really important, and he stopped to show compassion to someone primed and ready to be saved. A person that thousands had overlooked and ignored his cries for help prior. So how many of us, me included, have a roommate, have a, a friend, a teammate, family member, kid that sits in the back of class, that internally is crying out for help, but we don't stop, that we don't hear those subtle cues that they're struggling and seeking. We're all busy, and I understand it. Never in society has the world demanded so much from people. And I can fall victim of addressing the urgent and missing the eternally significant things around me. But we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings. Last week, I had an appointment outside of the office. It was scheduled for 10 o'clock. And I remember like 8.20, as I'm sending the kids out the door, I'm like, what am I going to do for an hour 40? So I texted this guy who's a family friend. I said, hey, would you and your spouse be able to meet at 9? Both of us get on our day, get it going. And he's like, yeah, that'd be great, actually. I got things in mind. Jump in my truck, start heading out towards this community. And I get a phone call. A very close friend of mine that I've known for a very long time. Don't get on Facebook and find out who my close friends are. I have a lot of really close friends, okay? You're not going to narrow it down. He calls me, and I can tell there's something on his voice. There's something distraught. The Holy Spirit said, Stop. Text that guy right now and tell him you're going to be late. So I said, what are you doing right now? I said, you know, I'm just at the house. really struggling. Okay. Can I pray for you? Oh, I can't. I got, you know, so-and-so is coming over. I'm like, I'm going to be there too. So I stopped everything. So I'm driving to this guy's house. All I can think about, God, I was going to get to the office an hour earlier than planned. I was going to get these things done. I was hopefully going to be caught up before I... I left the office. But now, this detour is going to put me behind. And I'm like, what? No, no, no. This is the Holy Spirit's telling me to, to stop what I'm doing. Fight this. Fight the flesh. The flesh wanting to get things done. This is an eternally significant opportunity. So as I pull up there, I find out that this person who's confided in me before that he had these physical things going on, has been having him going on for a lot longer than he's alluded to. And this has caused his mental state to start Google diagnosing himself. And he's got his mind convinced that he's got this significant, life-altering, terminal ailment that's going to happen. And find out that he doesn't actually have his faith in God. He goes, all my life, I've pretended. I've followed the curtails of my family. And I have never truly handed anything over to God. And that day, with a couple of us gathered, he truly gave his life over to Christ. 
But remember, my career isn't in ministry. It's about ministering through the marketplace, through my vocation. And since this time, I asked myself, what would have happened if this close friend of mine had died? What if I would have been in heaven and looking around, where is so-and-so? He should be up here too. He volunteered on the stage. He volunteered alongside me in different ministries. He's been at Bible studies. He's been with men of iron. This guy knew Jesus. His wife does the same things. What if I got to heaven and realized the guy that I was with every single day of the last 10 years, that I passed by every day, that I walked by and I missed it. I never stopped to ask him how he really was. What if I would have missed it? What if he would have never given his life over to Jesus? Blind Bartimaeus gets healed and becomes a follower of Jesus. How many years did people just walk by him and ignore him? Say, be quiet, beggar. You're not worthy of this. They ignored him, threw dust at him, probably spit at him if they're a, a Gentile. How many people have you walked by that you think are okay? I just need you to stop and be real. To show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. It says that after Barnabas got up and followed Jesus, that he strengthened the faith of those that were there. I cannot wait to see this gentleman who has finally handed over his life to Christ. I can't wait for that testimony to be strong. Strong enough so that he can minister with that testimony in the marketplace and change people's lives. All because someone stopped. Be alert to everything around you. Allow the Holy Spirit to truly guide your steps. There is an eternity at stake for you and everybody that you come in contact with. Don't leave anything to chance. Make sure your friends, make sure your family, make sure everybody you care about knows Jesus and be the weirdo that tells people you don't even know. Just remember that bottle and apple. You are who you hang out with. The people you're hanging out with, they're either putting the bad stuff on you or you're putting the good stuff on them. If you can't control who you're hanging out with, be the person that spreads good. And you can do that in the marketplace, even if you're not in full-time ministry. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. God, I just pray that you continue to work in me. I know that I'm not finished yet. And I pray for the same thing for these young men and women that are sitting in this auditorium today. I pray that right now that you would speak into them, that they would feel a fireball of passion within their bellies right now to pick up where they're at, to truly pick up their cross daily and start following you to take their daily bread, to take their words, to spend time with you, to be prepared every day and be alert 
wherever they go, to be obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. God, I just pray that when we're when we're convicted of the things that we've done wrong, Lord, may we turn from that, ask for forgiveness, and turn back to you. God, we thank you so much. And I just pray that there would be blessings over each and every one of these people in this room, that this point forward, that they're covering, you're covering, will be over each and every one of them from tonight through the rest of their lives. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I think we're going to sing another song of worship, so let's all stand up. Yes, go ahead and stand and just, let's give Clint a round of applause. Thank him for coming. Yes, that was awesome. I think you can be, when we read stories like the story of the beggar, it's easy for us to think of ourselves kind of in the place of the disciples, right, or Jesus, like loving on the beggar. But this is the beauty of Jesus, is that the reality is that often we are that beggar that we come to Jesus with nothing. So we've muddied a lot of waters, right? We've made a lot of mistakes in our lives. And the beauty of Jesus is that he'll love us anyways. And that Jesus gives us an opportunity that even when we are a blind beggar on the side of the road with nothing to offer him, because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, of dying for our sins, that no matter what our performance has been, we have an opportunity to have relationship and healing in Jesus simply because of his goodness. So if you're here tonight and that's something you've been wrestling with and you're just not sure what your relationship with Jesus looks like, and maybe this is your first time with us and you're wrestling, like how does this message about doing life as a Jesus follower in the marketplace makes sense for my life because I don't even follow Jesus. Tonight can be the night that you change that because before you can make a difference in the world around you, God wants to make a difference inside of your own heart. So if your heart has not been turned to Jesus, I encourage you tonight to be like the, the beggar and be like the many people throughout the gospels who look to Jesus and just find him so attractive that they need what he has. And Jesus wants to fill any holes inside of your hearts. He wants to wash you clean. He wants to give you new life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to just come before you, Jesus, with nothing to offer, with our filthy rags, but you make us white as snow, God. Jesus, I just pray that we can recognize our sonship and our daughtership in you, God, and we will just take our rightful place by your side as your son or daughter, God. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. And if that's you and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we like to give a way to respond here at Chi Alpha. So if you haven't accepted Jesus Lord before, or maybe you have, but you've been running away from him, we want you to have an opportunity to change that right now. We don't need to wait until next week or wait until two years down the road. God wants to do something in your heart right now. So if that's you and you haven't given your life to Jesus ever, or if you want to turn back to him, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on the count of three as a sign to God of what he's doing in your heart. If you want to kind of reach out as that beggar and say, Jesus, be my Lord. So if that's you on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for our new members in the family of you, God. Jesus, thank you that you love us so much. Even when we come with nothing, Jesus, that you are Lord and you provide us life, God. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Thank you for dying on the cross. And I pray for our new members of your family, God, that they will step into your life. We love you so much. Amen. 
Amen. If that is you and you did just raise your hand, I highly encourage you, please find someone with a name tag and go talk to them about it. Don't just let what God's doing inside of your heart stay there, but find someone, talk to them. You can talk to me, come talk to Clint. Find someone and share what Jesus is doing. So as we go into this last worship song, I want you to think about your own life and think about if there's an area that that Clint was talking about, maybe you need to work on. Maybe you need to be more prepared as you go into your life. And this doesn't have to wait until you graduate and go to the marketplace. Maybe your devotional life hasn't been what you want and you haven't been getting filled up with God. And I want you to confess that to Jesus and make a commitment to him to be prepared. Or maybe you haven't felt alert. Maybe you've been muddied by the people around you. Maybe you haven't been paying attention and you just want to take that next step. Be thinking about these things. Think about maybe your life as you transition or if you're going to graduate and what are some commitments you want to make. And so as we worship together, just give those things to God and let him have control. Jesus, we love you so much, God. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for everything you've done tonight, God. Thank you for Clint and the work you're doing through him in the marketplace, God, for being an example of what it looks like to not be in full-time vocational ministry, but to still change the world. We love you so much. Amen.